This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is a show that we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. So make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here, as well as getting some killer free stuff by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show, but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, check out the toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction, such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, even relationship management and breakups. That stuff is all obviously extremely important to your success, so make sure you get a handle on that as well. We've also got our boot camps and our live training running every single week here in Hollywood, California. Details on that at theartofcharm.com or just give us a call or even email me, Jordan H. at The Art of Charm, and I'll tell you exactly what you need to know to get started with that. I'm looking forward to meeting all you guys here at The Art of Charm. Got a great episode for you guys today. This one is with Scott Barry Kaufman. He is the scientific director of something called the Imagination Institute and a researcher in the Positive Psychology Center. This is not as woo-woo as it sounds, I promise you. This guy works with Dr. Martin Seligman. He talks all about psychology of mating, and he's also the author of Mating Intelligence Unleashed. I mean, this is the real deal. We're going to talk about why the alpha-beta distinction is too simplistic, the link between the dark triad, which sounds ominous and is, and mating. In other words, why girls like bad boys, but they're not really good for you, blah, 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 how you can get all the traits of a bad boy, but still be a good one, the role of humor, intelligence, and creativity in mating, the importance of vulnerability and authenticity in mating, and of course, a ton more. I honestly cannot do this one justice with my sort of pre-wrap here, so enjoy this one. This is instant best of, so I hope you guys dig it, and trust me, you will. Tell us who you are. I mean, you're the scientific director of something called the Imagination Institute and a researcher in the Positive Psychology Center. It almost sounds fake. (laughs) Why Why is that? Because it's too good? Because it's like, you know, what do you, I don't know, it's a unicorny. It's it's unicorny. That's it's both of the. It's not fake. I mean, there's actually an Epcot Center ride called Journey into Your Imagination, which was like my dream ride when I was a little kid. And it's called the Imagination Institute. That this big like purple dinosaur gives a tour of the Imagination Institute. And as a little kid, like I would just go on that ride on a loop. And this is the first ever like real Imagination Institute that actually exists. Did you create it? co-created it marty seligman who is actually the he's the founder of the field of positive psychology created it and hired me to run it and if you don't know who marty seligman is it's martin seligman those of us that don't (laughs) hang out with him every day don't get to call him marty that's actually a really good point yeah Yeah, on his wikipedia page it probably says martin seligman right i'm sure that it's not like or just call him marty dr seligman right he's he's you Yes, exactly. I didn't go to positive <laughs> psychology medical school for seven years to be called Mister. Thank you and very I'm much. Doctor, and you should and you should call me Doctor Kaufman. Bro. Right. Exactly. Oh, sorry. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. It's going to be one of those shows. Actually, man, you can call me SBK. That's what my friends call me. SBK. Good, yeah. man. We're friends now. I think we're getting 
I think we're getting there. Um, and and so he's the guy who did he coin the term learned helplessness? He's the guy. He where did. The, he is the learned helplessness person. He shocked all those dogs and things for scientific knowledge in the sixties, seventies, and um, basically, I mean, he he is he's the one that coined that. Yes. Yeah. And so tell us tell us about that experiment because people have heard about that and they probably don't know Martin Seligman based on that. And if they listen to my show, they might be like, damn, that experiment. Because there's so much research that came out of that. And it, it's sort of a foundational study for just about every other positive psychology study that's going around and blog posts and all those other things that people are, are referring to online when they talk about this stuff. Yeah, it's so much related. It's, it was kind of like a precursor to so much in clinical psychology in terms of like people who are clinically depressed. One of the main characteristics is they show this characteristics of learned helplessness where they essentially feel like they have no control over outcomes in this, in this world at all. They have no agency at all. It's a very like, what's the point kind of rumination to any action they may have. And, you know, he did all these experiments with other animals, uh, showing that like you could have animals that like could start off really super excited to get a reward and you could just mess with it, mess with its head, you know, and to get to the point where like an extinction, there's like, like hundred percent extinction where like things that used to get you excited. And this is what depressed people, you know, describe all the time is that feeling of like, you know, all the things that used to bring me enjoyment in life just have no meaning anymore to me. And you could kind of see how all that would be a good precursor to the field of positive psychology. I, I, I'm okay with like unicorny, but hope it's not corny. No, it's unicorny. <laughs> I'm agree. I agree. <laughs> it is unicorny. Um, but that could be a good thing, right? Because like fucking saw a unicorn outside my window, I would be the happiest person alive. Unless, unless Marty shocked you out of caring. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Right. <laughs> yeah. The first time I saw a unicorn, it would, and this is just, this is actually just human nature for any of us, right? So like the first time, we get that dopamine hit for something. It's so exciting. Like I can give you an example. Like when I went to England, you know, for the first time in like 2005, I did my master's degree there. I had the best year of my life. Like I was two years in this PhD program and I was like, you know what? I want to recreate all of that awesomeness. And I convinced uh, my grad school to send me back there to run all my subjects in England. I, I didn't make up a story, but I was like, you know, those students are very well disciplined in England. They'll be very conducive to my dissertation. Anyway, so they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, go ahead. And I tried the second time to recreate that, and it was just totally not the same. As the, I was in the same, I had the same friends, <laughs> I had the same environment. Not all the wonder, but a lot of that wonder just wasn't there again. And I think it's just a, lot, a part of human nature. It is. And so what you're saying is, you can get desensitized to all this stuff, and the first time you do get that dopamine hit, you're always forever after that just chasing the unicorn. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, the dopamine is all about the chasing of the unicorn. It actually has nothing to do with what happens once you encounter the unicorn. People have a lot of misconceptions about what dopamine actually does and how it acts on our system. And the fact is, it's the expectation molecule. It's not the pleasure molecule. Like, if anyone tells you that it actually do with the feeling of pleasure, they don't understand, like, neurochemistry. <laughs> It's not what it does. It has no guarantee that you'll actually enjoy it. So like drug addicts who like they rationally consciously are like, I do not want to do this drug anymore. It's ruining my whole life. I'm not going to experience any pleasure from it. Nevertheless, in the presence of that stimulus, they're getting the dopamine hit that is compelling them to take it, the hit of, you know, whatever, marijuana, whatever it is. It does not guarantee that you will actually experience pleasure or that you'll like what you obtain. It's all about that um, sense of uh, high expectation or positive reward. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't know that, of course, but tell us about some of your new work. I mean, you've got a book called Mating Intelligence Unleashed, 
that talks about flirtation, finding and choosing a mate, maintaining a mate, and ending relationships, all in what I can assume is a very clinical, dry, scientific way. (laughs) (laughs) Why assume that? No, I'm just kidding. You wouldn't be here if I assumed that. That would be the worst. No, well, but- you know what? Your listeners actually can take the mating intelligence test. It's actually on OkCupid as well. I'm on OkCupid and I'll encounter some, you know, potential dates and I'll look at their mating intelligence score. I'm like, hey, I wrote that test. It's kind of funny. Oh, that's really cool. And where's the test? We'll link to it. So in- can- yeah, great. So it's just in a psychology thing magazine, but you can just Google the mating IQ scale. It's the first thing that comes up. The mating- psychology today. Yeah. All right, and we'll link to that in the show notes, so stop Googling and pay attention to where you're driving. How about this? I mean, you, have, you don't even need to do Carry the torch for the rest of humanity. Um, Why pull this uh, steering wheel out from my throat? Okay. Most guys have an inaccurate understanding of what women find attractive. And, and honestly, that's the premise of like my entire business and life and show. So they cultivate the traits of the bad boy, not being authentic. That's some of the stuff we try to undo. And the reason is because if you're a pushover, that really sucks. Well, a lot of things suck less, but the next thing that sucks less is being kind of a jerk. Because then even if you're getting slightly less terrible results, you're also not feeling as awful about it. You know, you feel guilty, but in the moment, at least you're not the doormat. You're the trampler. Not that I'm condoning that. Of course, that's, in my opinion, worse because then you're being fake and you're doing harm. But Let's talk about the traits that really matter sure. and figure out how to emphasize authenticity and not this hubris, BS, alpha, fake crap. Yeah, you know, I was trying to think of ways of presenting this that just bring a lot of the different threads together because we don't have that much time. I was thinking, you know, there's just, you can think of it this way. There are different paths to success in anything in life. The mating domain is just another domain you can gain expertise in and learn about. And there's different paths to success. Two major paths that I've outlined in my research is the dominance path and the, well, we, we can call it the hubristic path. How about that? It's hubris. It's paved by arrogance, conceit, unstable, rocky relationships, uh, low levels of conscientiousness. Um, this is your stereotypical bad boy route, I would say. Right. But it's fueled by this unstable ego by insecurity, by your need to brag to others how many numbers of sexual partners you've had, et cetera, et cetera. And then the other path I like to distinguish from, and I'd like to make a case to you today, this is actually the path that is not just higher in well-being, but actually is what women want. It actually gets you greater chances, uh, ultimately, of having some sort of um, satisfying anything, even sexual experience. You yeah, know? and this is that's the model of the art of charm, is that at the highest level, you're being authentic and it's working better than any BS crap that you could have laid onto your personality in terms of a bad boy or nice guy persona. Well, Jordan, this dovetails so well with like everything you're doing because the, that path is called the authentic path. This is so awesome. Yeah. So, um, so one, the one path is the hubristic path. The other path is the authentic path. And the authentic path is not fueled by those same emotions um, that I just described. Instead, it's fueled by the rush of accomplishment, of, of well-earned accomplishment, of, of conscientiousness, of positive mental health, satisfying interpersonal relationships, and what is called genuine self-esteem. So the kind of self-esteem you see in hubristic, uh, in the hubristic path is not genuine, authentic self-esteem. Meaning like example-wise when the guy's like, yeah, bro, I went to the gym and I pushed 500 pounds. You look like a wuss, man. You better hit the gym. That guy's, that's not really like, wow, that guy feels good about himself. It's like, that guy is obviously really insecure. But when you're young, you just think, 
man, he must be right. You actually hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. So genuine self-esteem is not about being better than others. It's simply about considering yourself a person of value. Again, you know, you're here because you're proving all this cool stuff that I make claim to that people then comment on YouTube like, ah, you're making that shit up. And I'm like, now I can be like, talk to Scott Barry Kaufman and Dr. Martin Seligman and then come back to me with this <laughs> argument that it's not true. Yeah, totally. No, there and there is so much. I'm, I'm basically like, you know, I was trying to think of this interview and everything. There's like a thousand studies I could talk about, right? right? But I think that it really does boil down to these two paths. And, you know, this whole alpha, beta, um, simplistic distinction doesn't capture, neither of those two capture the authentic path, which is something that I've been arguing is really necessary to um, to capture because that is actually what guys should be cultivating for any of their meeting goals, really. Hmm, okay. So let's sort of back up the truck and go briefly about why this alpha beta distinction is just fake slash overly simplistic because there's a lot of trend in this like men's movement. I don't even know what you want to call it because I hate that word too because it's kind of just been hijacked by weirdos. But <laughs> there's this like alpha beta distinction where it's like either you're alpha and you're like this jacked tough guy almost like action hero movie-esque and you get all the girls or you're beta and like you're just SOL and everybody laughs at you behind your back and you're never going to reproduce. It's not true and it's overly simplified, but you can prove it, right? That's right. Yeah. So those are caricatures. They're not, they're these gross extremes that I think a lot of people really like perpetuating this myth. I see this quite honestly a lot in, and I don't see this with you guys, but I see this a lot with marketers. They're trying to like pull, I guess, the heartstrings to, to pull in people. So they're like, are you sick of being a beta chump? I mean, how many times do you see that, right? Like, I'm like, yeah. no, I'm not because <laughs> that's not a real thing. So exactly. there that's we go. Right. You're, you're hitting it all, uh, the nail on the head. The point is with psychology, it's really good from a marketing strategy to only present two options to people, right? I'm a scientist, right? I'm interested in what's the truth. And, and the truth is usually many shades of gray, you know, uh, many like shades. 50. And the truth is that humans are very adaptive as a species, and the more adaptive are really the ones that are going to be most successful in this domain. That kind of adaptation or that need for flexibility, depending on your goals, depending on who you're talking to, depending on what kind of person you want to be, we can go in and out of various traits. So I study things. I study lots of traits, right? I study the dark triad, you know, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. I study, you know, kindness and compassion as well. And I study creativity. I study humor. The thing is, I study all these traits, and they're all part of the human repertoire. And I think that we need to get out of these very confining, It's you're either this or you're this, and really learn how to put in your toolbox all these different tools that are really helpful in the mating domain. And all of them are helpful. It depends on the context and our goals and lots of other things. I would say the true alpha male is the one who's really good at, has cultivated authentically lots of these skills and uses them um, appropriately. I mean, how do we become more unicorny then? Because that's what we're looking for, right? The authentic unicorn. Yeah, I've never quite thought of it that way. We talk about value and showing other people that you're a person of value by also showing them that they are also people of value, which everybody likes to feel. I think that's really important. And so let's go through the, the dark triad first. And then sure. flip it to the light side of the force. No, that's absolutely, that's, that sounds like a good strategy. 
yeah, I've given talks where uh, I talk about the dark triad traits and I talk about like compassion, like the opposite end of that spectrum. Yeah, so the dark triad consists of Machiavellianism, narcissism, and psychopathy. And people who are high in dark triad are actually high in all three of those. Those three do tend to be related to each other in the general population. So people who tend to be scored high on psychopathy tend to also be narcissists and tend to be really manipulative and Machiavellian. Um, but they can come apart in different ways. They also, they're similar and they're also different. They're similar in the sense that they all are related to disagreeableness and scheming behaviors and strategizing and coercion and lots of those kinds of things. The thing is interesting when you look at the relationship between these traits and the mating world, you do find that people higher dark triad have a higher number of sexual partners. But the way the media automatically translates that is, look, this proves that women love assholes. But what actually the research shows is that these people higher dark triad are just using a very specific set of coercive strategies, coercive and scheming strategies, the coercion, the sexual coercion, the they lower their standards significantly. There is research showing that, like, you actually take dark tribe people and, and you show them pictures of, like, you know, the crude one to 10 physical attractiveness. Thing. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're going, they're, they're taking four or five sixes, whatever they're going. Yes, 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 yes. It's a very crude measure, but they sort of, um, play a numbers game. And I think that's the reality is that through a combination of their constant strategizing, scheming, coercion, you know, they prey on women with low self-esteem, for instance. Um, lots of things. Sure, you can rack up a lot of sexual partners, but that's that hubristic route that I was talking about earlier. So there is this path, and they do employ a whole bunch of strategies that can be successful in the short term only in the mating domain. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And so basically, we're comparing ourselves to this sort of measurement. It's kind of a hack, right? We're saying like, oh, well, guys who do this you know, it shows X, Y, and Z, they have 10 times more partners, but it's kind of like saying, well, John has 10 coins in his pocket and Mike has five coins in his pocket. You know, who would you rather be? And it's like, well, one guy's holding pennies and the other guy's holding silver dollars. So the, actually the way you just said that is, I want to like collaborate with you and have you create all my examples. <laughs> I'm, I'm a good analogy guy for some reason, probably because I don't understand abstract concepts without turning them into something tangible. Well, that was, that was just perfect. So that's the point. And, and I've been interested a lot more in, in, in my recent research and collaborations in looking at uh, the predictors of quality of sexual partners as opposed to quantity of sexual partners. And they're different predictors. Really? Well, this is an ongoing research study, but so far the research does suggest that those are different predictors. That's going to piss off a lot of dark triad people who have made their whole, you know, self-esteem and, and everything around uh, how awesome they are because of quantity of sexual partners. But it does add more nuance to the story. It sure does. And so what if we're looking at that and we go, oh, my God, that's a recipe for disaster. Well, here's the problem. A lot of guys are going hey, it's still better than the zero I'm having right now, right? So it's almost like a stepping stone for a lot of people. So you know what I think is a, is a much better way of thinking about this if you are at a zero level? Is it, keep this mantra in your head. It only takes one. And I don't mean it only takes one, the one to get married. If that's I'm not trying to be dramatic when I say this. I'm trying to, I think it's more, it only takes one person to, to increase your well-being in life. To, so... There is good research showing that quantity of sexual partners is unrelated to to well-being. It is uncorrelated with like um, this authentic kind of self-esteem. 
So even if you're, let's say your goal is to enjoy like, um, just sex, like that's fine, whatever, that's totally cool. But having this attitude of like, you know, or at least it starts with one, like it takes so much of that pressure off you and allows you to realize that if you talk to a lot of women and you find out that they're not like, you're not enjoying talking to them, like they're just probably not the right ones for you, even for the short term context and you can move on. You don't need to feel like a loser if you have not slept with a girl who makes you feel bad about yourself anyway. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it, it, it makes perfect sense. And and does that sort of just random tangent, does that then desensitize you to the dopamine if you're constantly having sex with people that are, you know, actually not doing it for you? It actually um, can lead to depression because you're depleting your dopamine so much. It's uh, it can actually lead to depression. Huh, that makes a lot of sense, actually, and totally goes hand in hand with what you hear from a lot of these guys like Tucker Max who just bang tons of girls and then go, oh, I'm still not happy. Yeah, I was on his podcast a little while ago. We talked about a lot of these issues, and I mean, he, I think he's really matured a lot, actually. Yeah, definitely. In a couple of years, yeah. Yeah, he certainly has. And he's in a long-term relationship. Right now. I know it's kind of crazy. He's like, he's like, he's like, dude, I love having sex with the same girl every day. It's awesome. You know, like Tucker Max said that. You know. Yeah, it's kind of like, well, if he can do it, you can do it, right? That's that's right. Um. So, how do we start to then turn over to the light side of the forest when it's like, all right, now are we going to be then happier if we? sort of embody slash incorporate these positive mating traits, you know, humor, intelligence, creativity, et cetera? This is what makes people happy. It's the combination of assertiveness and kindness. And this is why this is really important to distinguish dominance from assertiveness. Okay. So the dark triad slash hubristic root that I was talking about earlier, you know, the dominant root is fueled by this aggression and this need to trump others and compete and it and it actually it is tied to um to testosterone absolutely but assertiveness and kindness is a combination that is most attractive to women not dominance but assertiveness and but assertiveness paired specifically with kindness or pro social motivations is that's an aphrodisiac actually to women and i think a lot of guys get confused between assertiveness and dominance and they are really um it's really important to separate those two things out from each other. So if you want to have high well-being and have high success with women, I would work on cultivating this assertiveness where literally what assertiveness is is that you express your needs, your desires, your wants. You know, like there's research showing that introverts, anxious introverts who do not really find themselves capable of expressing how they feel to others much, that does lead to depression. So it is important to practice this assertiveness, but it's also important to recognize that being kind or having a pro-social motivation doesn't mean that you're a doormat. There is a difference between being a doormat, which I think is something a lot of guys are really scared of being, right? But I, I think you can still be this pro-social and assertive person and not be a doormat. Yeah, of course. And and there's a lot of stuff in the Art of Trump toolbox about that, right? It's all about you don't have to be a pushover, people pleaser, that's not the way to do it. It's to, to create attraction. And so like, I know you don't teach those principles, you teach that people should use them, but it's it's an art, you know, teaching people how to actually use them in practice. It um, is an art, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a skill set that can definitely be learned. I mean, I've seen in other literatures, you know, training exercises to increase compassion, to increase, I would say that a lot of techniques can be meditation, self-compassion meditation, for instance, well, there are lots of things that I think you can really help your guys that 
that listen to you to like do these kinds of just like a simple self-compassion meditation before you leave your room and go to talk to people, you will see so many better results. People will respond to you completely differently, I guarantee. And I guess I, guess I know that sounds unicorny, <laughs> but um, but there's a whole literature on, you know, this is what expert meditators use a lot is, is loving kindness meditation where you you think about the perspective of others and you, you wish in your head, you wish, you wish well to others. But also something that is a really neat line of research is called self-compassion, where you have more compassion for your, your own self and you're not, you're not going to be so critical about yourself if like, if you have an interaction with a woman, for instance, and she seems like to be, oh, she rolls her eyes at you or you feel rejected. I think there's things you can do before you leave to get you in the state of mind where that stuff isn't going to affect you as much. That you'll be kinder to yourself. There are exercises. There are proven exercises on this. I think it's very, that'd be very useful. Yeah. I mean, can you? Do you know them? Absolutely. I'm happy. Like, give you the links. You can link it to it when you link this interview. Yeah. I'm, let's I'm, do that. I'm happy to load you up, and I'm not happy to load most people in this business up because I, I a lot of the, your industry, you know, a lot of the, the marketing stuff just reeks of. Um, of snake oil, right? Of course. Yeah. But, uh, no, I'm happy to help you as much as you want to. Yeah. It's funny because some of the tips you and I talked about before the show are, are just classic art of charm. Be more engaging and playful. Smile more. Say silly things you wouldn't normally say. Showing that you're not outcome dependent and enjoy the process. I mean, we have hours right. of audio based like step by step how to do that. Yeah, this is not like rocket science, right? Right. But, but so I study, you know, in the Imagination Institute, I'm not studying mating. Um, I'm studying what is imagination, what is play. But what I, what I realize is that a lot of these principles that I'm studying in, in, in terms of imagination and, you know, I'm interested in what does it take to succeed in other fi in fields in general, it applies equally as well to the mating domain of life. The, the overarching thing I would say about all those things that, that you just talked about is to cultivate a sense of playfulness with others and with yourself. Don't be so outcome independent. Um, be open to, you know, also meditation that gets you more present in the moment will be incredibly helpful. Just be very open to the direction that things will go. And even like be open to the fact that, you know, you may actually like someone that you might not initially get good vibes from. See, a lot of people don't realize how subconsciously they turn away others. Um, based on their, what's going on in their own heads, you know? Sure, yeah. And, and I think it's like really important for a lot of guys to realize that this kind of this kind of mental talk you do beforehand, even if you see someone and your gut wants to say like, like, I don't think that, you know, I don't like the way she's looking at me or I don't like, but instead shifting it to, oh, I want to approach this person. You know, I, I'm, I'm curious. That sort of curiosity is going to be much more linked to a good outcome. Trust me. Excellent. I just this is so cool because I love when science overlaps with what we're saying like a hundred percent. You didn't believe it. That's our chief thing. Is like a lot of people go, Oh, well, this is bro science or this is like pseudoscience. And now I can be like, nah, it's real, actual science. There is actual science. No, that's really this. great to hear because I'm not very up on, you know, all this stuff you guys are teaching. And so this is like awesome to hear that there's such good congruence here. Not only is it something that we know works from hundreds and thousands of of anecdotal evidence pieces, but there's studies behind it that are whatever you guys do, like double blind, made sure it worked type stuff. Well, this is a good way to actually segue for a second. So you said that like the field of positive psychology sounds unicorny and stuff like that. And this is all part of the field of positive psychology. The reason why I like it so much is that positive psychology is not about necessarily happiness. Like 
that we should all feel happy all the time. That's not what it's all about. You can be very fulfilled in life and not necessarily be that kind of stereotypical, happy, happy, you know, unicorn kind of like smiling all the time. Everything's going to be great. You can be realistic and be fulfilled and have high well-being. And those are the outcomes that I'm interested in. There's fulfillment and meaning in life and well-being and creativity. Those are things that interest me. And I think that um, those are things that, that are important to everyone, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course they are. Now back to the show. And yeah. so what are some other things that, that guys can do? I mean, you, you brought up some, some other good overlap. I mean, assertiveness, for example. Yeah, there's an interesting thing about, and it, this backfires for a lot of guys, is that they'll think that um, displaying sexual interest is something that guys shouldn't ever do. That that's like, you know, and, and some, some feminists will, you know, will say like, guys shouldn't, you know, like, there are some people that would do that. But, but you have to kind of push against some of that and realize that putting yourself out there and being vulnerable is immensely sexy to women. And there's a difference between putting yourself out there, being vulnerable and showing sexual interest and being a, a rapist, right? Or being a, or aggressive or dominant. Again, we come up with that distinction between assertiveness and dominance. And I think that a lot of guys that are comfortable with their sexuality and kind of put it out there without being aggressively out there, sort of like, here, here it is, give it, give it or take it versus take it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. That's a huge difference. The attitude of here's my sexuality and take it. Women don't like that. <laughs> and the attitude of, you know, this is my sexuality, the outcome independence um, is actually um, quite sexy to women. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing like two Jews sitting around discussing assertiveness, huh? Do you have a lot of like Jew Jews on your show? Tons. I mean, the thing is, we got that science background. Famous authors on there. I had James Altucher on here. Even people that don't throw it around, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 you just find out later. It's like, you know, oh, that, and then you go, that makes sense, right? So I, re I remember reading a book in like when I was 14 and it always stuck with me. It was a book specifically about the sexual energy of Jews. You know what? I saw it in like a used bookstore and I think I was like browsing. I think it was the sexuality section, which is not unheard of for a 14 year old male to right. be in that section. Praying, keeping you just praying for some boob pictures somewhere. I was somewhere. I mean, this is, this is when I was 14, they're like, we were like on GIFs, like Cindy Crawford GIFs would be the most exciting thing. Right. You know what I mean? Oh um, yeah. But, but I just remember this book, which was like, um, it was so, it was like all about how like Jews have this like inherent, like sexual power or whatever. I don't know if like it's true that I cannot tell you scientifically. I've, I've not seen any studies on that, but that always stuck with my head. You just made me think of that. Who knows where that comes from? That's extremely weird. Maybe it's, maybe it's just like Jews are hornier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's probably something to do with that. You're really talking about a fine scale when you're trying to compare the libidos of, of men, especially of teenage boys. But you talk about in your book, yeah. you've got a mating and male creativity study. What, what is that? Oh, you know, that is true. Yeah, we actually, um, check it out. Just today we got the acceptance letter from this, this scientific journal that's finally going to be published after like two years of trying to get the study published. That's very exciting to a scientist when you get that acceptance letter. But the study itself, we're, we wanted to ask, like, who finds Bill Gates sexy? Gold diggers. <laughs> no, that's funny. The question is, like, you know, there, there are obviously different strokes for different folks. But we wanted to look at that within the creativity domain. We wanted to, like, rank order the most sexually attractive behaviors in the creativity domain to the least sexually attractive. And then 
see like what do most people find attractive and then what kind of subtypes are there and we found that artistic displays like um what um we call ornamental displays like playing a guitar or using humor or um playing sports these are called you know fitness displays or, or ornamental displays they are considered the most sexually attractive across the board on average but and at the very very bottom of that list are things like publishing a scientific journal article, which is what I just told you I got so excited by, um, and or like writing a computer program. So basically, technical things can be distinguished from ornamental um, things. With that said, we found some nuanced findings that there were definitely assortative mating principles going on. By that I mean that uh, women who were also higher in intelligence. Well, particularly intellectual curiosity and themselves were interested in science found those things that were at the bottom of the list for most guys, they found that the most sexy. And then you also find, you know, women who themselves are in the arts or are achieving in the arts found artists very sexy. But I think the study is interesting because it does suggest that finding your own niche is, is so important in this domain. You shouldn't like bound up your value as your mate value in how many sexual partners writ large you can have, like just blind of of everything else, you know? Yeah, um, I, I mean, this makes sense, right? Your study makes sense because we know from looking at every artist ever that science shows now that men are more creative when a potential mate is on their mind, and the concept of the muse goes back probably like hundreds of years, right? Yeah, it sure does. And we know that humor is sexually attractive for women in a man, and that humor is linked pretty directly to intelligence. Humor is, I've published, I've done studies and other people have done studies in that. It depends how you, how you define intelligence, but definitely IQ testing, IQ type of intelligence, like that ability to, to hold lots of information in your head at once and, and to reason and problem solve that is correlated with humor ability. So we've had like, we've done studies where we had people write, uh, do you have New Yorker? We present them with New Yorker pictures and we ask them to come up with captions. And then we have them rated by a whole panel of judges on how funny it was. The more funny it, the ratings, the, the higher their IQ tends to be. But humor is an interesting thing because it signals so many things. Or what I mean by signal, it's a term from like the animal literature. But what it reveals about you in just one go, right? So just you tell a funny joke. What are you revealing about yourself to the person? You're revealing not just your wit or your intelligence, but also your, your openness to experience your playfulness, your um, ability to be socially appropriate. So this is why why um, one-liners or chat-up lines, and there's also research on this, chat-up lines are not attractive. They're the opposite of attractive. They turn people away. But if you can be funny based on a socially appropriate thing that um, either the person said or something in the environment that is spontaneous, um, that signals so much about you. And that's why I have argued that humor is the most important arsenal tool in the mating intelligence toolkit. Yeah, of course. It's anybody who's ever listened to even just cliches of women talking about what's attractive. It's like, guy with a great sense of humor and things like that, right? And there are different layers of attraction for short-term and long-term attributes, right? Symmetry, physical signs of youth and fertility and things like that are attractive uh, for, for men and women, symmetrical face, body, musculature, that's a, a lot of that short term, but a lot of the intelligence and stuff like that, especially with the, the humor and all that, those other signals, those are probably short term as well, but also more long term, I would imagine. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You find that 
the the humor predicts the length of relationships. So that's really interesting, right? A lot of relationships. So it's interesting effect. Humor increases passion in the relationship, which passion is, is so crucial to keeping a relationship going. Passion wanes significantly, you know, after like the nine month mark, right? Couples that can make each other laugh. It's extremely important. You know, this is something that's interesting. In the short term, research shows that at least at first, women that, that laugh at men's jokes and men who like can make women laugh, that's the best pairing. And I know that sounds so sexist. Like when I say that, I'm like, I hear how like, you know, that can sound so sexist, but that is what the research actually right. shows. You're like, it's science, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but it is. I mean, (laughs) that's right. I I guess that's what I just did. Yeah. That's interesting is that guys love them or hate them really get turned on when a woman is – because what it is really, it's not all that sexist when you think about it. It's showing that like you're going to be like encouraged to continue being yourself if – a woman is laughing at your jokes, right? Sure. And, I mean, and, it's not rocket science. It's why. not. And, and one of the one of the things, one of the ways that we teach at the Art of Charm, for they're like, oh, I'm not sure, you know, I got to get them interested in me. It's like, if you go up to a group of four girls and one of them is laughing at all of your jokes, don't go for the other one that you think maybe she's a little cuter. If you're in the beginning, you're just trying to get used to social interaction, figure out how all this stuff works in practice. Because the girl is laughing at your stuff, she already likes you. So you don't, your work's already done. Don't try to go, you know, hack it the other way. You literally just, you keep anticipating all the studies. It's unbelievable. Really? Yeah. So oh, that's the research, awesome. That's exactly what it is. So the research shows that um, a woman will not laugh at your jokes if she's not already attracted to you before you even approach her. Yeah. Yeah. That's why in high school, the jock who's an idiot and is not funny at all, and everyone goes, oh my God, isn't Scott so funny? And you're like, no. Scott is not funny. He is a dumbass. <laughs> but they like him already for other reasons. So, yeah, he becomes hilarious. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It makes perfect sense. And, you know, there's a lot of other things in these studies, right? Like women like men who are liked by other women. Social proof is what we call that. You've got short-term versus long-term reproductive studies and things yeah. like that. And It's called mate copying. Mate copying? Yeah, that's the technical term. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. That's so amazing. I mean, it's yeah. so funny how all these things are backed up. We all, all we're you know when we do studies we're doing studies on, on humans right so you know all we're doing is we're looking at this in aggregate but you are looking at this in aggregate as well in a way because you have such a large sample size by this point so it this is something I I you know reality is reality right we we come at it through different angles but I get I get more confidence that something is real the more different angles that come at it agree. So this is just bolstering my confidence that we're actually discovering things that are true. And mine as well, man. Thank you so much for coming here. I know you got to run. There's a lot of stuff we can talk about, but you know what? Let's leave some for the book. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to cover? No, that that would covered a lot of ground. That was great. You did a great job, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah. All right. See, I told you that was going to be awesome. The alpha beta thing. Great. We've talked about that before, but now we got some science behind it. The link between the dark triad and mating. Really cool, right? You've thought of it. You've seen it. Now you've got science behind it. And of course, things we've always known were important, but never really had science to back up. So the role of humor, intelligence, creativity and mating and sex, the importance of vulnerability and authenticity. And what I'm really happy about is that authenticity wins in the end. So it's like a movie where the good guy wins good guy being all the stuff we teach at The Art of Charm. So I'm particularly stoked about this because this comes in and validates all the stuff you guys have been getting from us on the show for so many years. So I'm elated right now, and I hope you guys dug this one. 
as much as I enjoyed recording it, probably going to have more from Dr. SBK pretty soon as well. So I hope you guys dug this, man. Really, I do. And email me, let me know what you think, and otherwise, I'll see you next time. Special thanks to you guys for listening. Show feedback and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know, jordanh at theartofcharm.com. And of course, boot camp details there as well. Go ahead and email or call me. Honestly, that's the best way to get in touch and I'll give you everything you need to know about our programs here in LA. If you guys are listening but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, go ahead and make the change there because getting your shows delivered free to your phone or computer while you sleep is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. Just go to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, and search for The Art of Charm. That's it. And if you guys want to write us a nice review, we'll love you forever there as well because it helps other people find us, and it's really important to keep our show ranks up. So tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 